Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name's Jed. And I am John. And Jed is tired. I'm super tired. I just woke up. And, uh, and you lazy, turns out. And what? Lazy? That's right. I said it. Wow, dude. It's 10 a.m. You're dropping hard L's. It's 10 a.m., boy. Get up. It's 11 a.m. where you are. So yeah. that's an extra hour. I, I've still, I'm suffering from the government stealing one of my hours. <laughs> That's only like a legit argument when you don't sleep until 10 a.m. What's the... Shut up, man. I went to bed at <laughs> like 1. I usually don't. It's my day off. The tough part is when you have churns. Yeah, shoot. I got kittens. Does that count? Nah. My kitten wakes me up. Nah. Yeah, dude. That don't count. It's the that same thing. Count. What's the difference between a kitten and your kids? Go. <laughs> Uh, actually, that's kind of a good point. Right. Let's let's both try to ki- they both try to kill me at every opportunity. Correct. You probably get scratched by them. I know. I, I know do get scratched. They headbutt yeah. your junk. They are like wide awake and crazy at like eight p.m. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty similar. Except they don't sleep during the day. That's true. That's true. They've grown out of that. How how old are your kids again? Seven and four. Seven and four. I know. What's the what's so what what cognitively is going on when you're seven? What kind of concepts are are they wrestling with? Mostly which Pokemon is best. Is he into Pokemon now? Dude, he got he's like yes. super into Pokemon. He is making so like all the kids have laptops now that they get from their school. Holy um, shit! And they make uh, Google Slides. Like they work, they do like schoolwork in Google Slides. But he makes Google Slides for fun, like about the different Pokemon and Pokeballs and all this shit, and sends it to his friends. Wait, dude! He spent are... all yesterday making Pokemon Google Slides. What are Google Slides? It's like a PowerPoint. Oh, okay. You remember? <laughs> do you remember when PowerPoint was like the have-all, be end-all of of glorious presentation work? It's like, oh my god, look at that transition, the sparkle. <laughs> and it, it would take you eight <laughs> hours to do. In from the right. Yeah. yeah. So what is so it like gross. now? Is it like? I mean, pretty similar. Oh, okay. So the, the technology. The PowerPoint technology. Now it's just on. Now it's just on the cloud, and it automatically saves, and you can access it from anywhere in the world. Okay. Yeah. Have you done the um see all the information Google has on you thing? If uh no, it's very very creepy. But I'm sure it's everything. It's everything. It's well, ev- yeah. Everything. I mean, I. I Every... work in that industry, right? As yeah. a marketing guy, I'm pretty pretty keen to uh, how much data is being collected about me. Dude. And I'm kind of cool with it. Are you every picture you've ever taken, every text you've ever sent, every email, every YouTube video search? Well, I don't have um, – well, they don't have every picture that I've ever taken because I don't true. back my stuff up to Google. True. Pick. They don't have every text message I've um, ever Apple sent. does. Well, uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, but Apple doesn't partner with the government like Google does. Are you sure to, about that? 
they partner with the Chinese government, is what I heard. You know where I heard that? Google News. <laughs> no, Apple's been known to shut down the government and say, "No, I'm not. We're not helping you unlock people's phones. We're not get, unless you have a warrant. We're not doing any of that stuff." Because they're like, "That's our. <laughs> we're holding that for ourselves. That's our. That's data. for the Antichrist, <laughs> not for the government." That's right. Um, but I'm pretty aware. I don't, but I'm also like, don't opt into stuff, you know, like I don't, um, like all those behavioral quizzes and stuff on on socials. Like I don't do any of that shit and I never have. So you, Uh so, so that's a conspiracy theory you're, you're saying you believe in. It's not a theory. It's a fact. It's not a theory. (laughs) Um, (laughs) well, but people don't accept that as fact. Like that. What? That, that all the that, like which which Harry Potter character are you is really just behavioral science. How there's been what I don't understand how people could not could disagree. With oh, that. bro, people, dude. So the, what do they think? It's just for fun skis, and people aren't totally. keeping track of that data. Have they not read anything in the last like three years? About I guarantee, if, M- Miriam, if you're listening, if you've taken one of those quizzes, did you say to yourself? Oh, this is just to tell me about me. Well, ignorance to what's going on is not denial. Uh, I see. I see. I see. Like some people don't know that for sure. And that's kind of what they're banking on. But it's not. They're not. Yeah. Anyway. Did did you see um, Zuckerberg's address at like his shareholders meeting about like the future of Facebook? I don't think so. He's all he thinks it's he wants. He's like the social media town square forum format is, is dying and dead, and we need to focus on encrypted messaging and more right. privatization, which I don't really know what that means. Well, he's taught that I know that a feature that they're going to roll out in Facebook messaging is um, like a Snapchat type message where it auto deletes mm. after a certain period of time. Um, that's one thing. I don't know. Like we people, even... people seem to like the town square memes and stuff. So I don't know how you know if that's going anywhere. Yeah, Any... yeah. But... It it almost sounded like he was talking more about like going back to OG Facebook, where it was like you were only if only if you were in college could you have this platform. So like it'll be like a like a you know like work <laughs> platform, like a work Facebook. I don't know. It's weird. I I am curious as to what the next generation of stuff is going to be. Seems like we sat with this one for a minute. A long time. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I think that he's right in some ways. A large swath of our population is going to take a step back from, from the way things are now. But I don't know what it's going to evolve into. I couldn't tell you. Because teenagers already, like Facebook is is, as they say, whack. Teenagers aren't saying whack, but that's <laughs> accurate. The ones that I sell drugs to are. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, um, man. Hey, hey, little teenager, you want some candy? Hello, teenage teenage child. Would you like some, some marijuana drugs? <laughs> <laughs> um, anybody committing any crimes today? <laughs> I do love crime. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, because like Snapchat's big, and then even that's kind of dying. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not dead yet. If I can be honest, wait, what? What's what's not? 
I'm surprised Snapchat's not all the way dead. It's fun though. Right, it's but not, Insta is it story, fun, Jed, though? Is it or is am it? I just addicted? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I do like to mindlessly scroll and judge people. So Well, you can do that on any social media platform. Right. If we can be real. But but this is like quick little videos and I'm like, ha, you are an idiot. And here's proof. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It, I mean, but Insta sto- Insta stories like took that. Yes. I mean Snapchat's still better though. Mm, I guess it's actually identical. <laughs> yeah, of. it's the so, same thing. It's the same uh, pleasure of ah, video evidence, you dumbass. Or like, so have you? Speaking of my favorite Instagrammer, have you seen what Riff Raff's been doing with his new single no. overlaid on like all the different videos? No. It's so awesome. Yeah, he's put it on like all these like old throwback videos of him dancing, and then there's one with Steve Urkel dancing with his yes. music it's been incredible he, it's really he's my favorite person alive dude he's he's he really is i can't believe <laughs> i can't believe i ever talked shit on riff i'm sorry you are a genius the he's fact that genius. he is the fact that he like the when he first started growing the the mullet i was like okay this is a funny joke and then he went he leaned heavy Duh. into it creating he's about that mullet dude he bought a texas truck like he bought a giant truck uh so awesome <laughs> oh, it's God, so it's awesome there's a million dollar mullet the million dollar mullet dale tony dan that's right <laughs> Um uh, and I can't dude remember when he dated Chris um Christina um Katie Perry No do you I remember that? that go back no. go back and just google search uh Katie Perry and Riff Raff and just bathe in the awkwardness of the pictures <laughs> of them together I I imagine that whole relationship is just her rolling her eyes like I feel like that's the epitome of that relationship Totally. Well, she tried to like dress like him a little bit. You know how that happens, and it's just like, Ugh, uh, what are y'all doing? Uh, and like blue <laughs> giant chains and stuff. Well, and that was when he was all skinny and like, and everyone oh, was like, "What is this guy?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the, the awesome. facial Z hair. <laughs> That's so mom. great. It's the best, dude. It is the best. Um. Well, speaking of the best, I have an awesome interview today. Russell Holbrook from the uh, mid-90s tooth and nail band Joe Christmas and his new uh, addiction memoir, uh, Heroin is the Answer, a memoir of things I remember. It's really awesome. Heroin is the answer. It is, dude. Uh, Jeopardy, last night, what is heroin, was the answer all night. Oh, yeah, right. Did you way, hear about speaking of Alex Trebek is dying? But I mean, that, wait, did you see how boss move he handled that? I didn't see anything. I just read the article. Oh, read. So he made a public. So uh, Alex Trebek has stage four pancreatic cancer and he made dude. He is he is he's up there with Bob Barker and Steve Irwin as far as just like respectable ass dudes. But he made this, totally. this he made this video and he's like. I just, you know, in, in his Alex Trebek voice, and he's like, I just want you to know, you know, I'm going to fight this thing, and I've got cancer, and I will be the 10% that beats it. And then he made a joke, and he was like, besides, I have three years left on my contract. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it, was, it was, yeah, it, it's worth watching, man. I'm going to watch that. Alex, we're, we're rooting for you, bud. 
What is heroin? What is So I'm here with Russell. Is it Hole or Hallbrook? It's Holbrook. Holbrook. All right. Where uh, where are you coming from? From Mableton, Georgia, just What's... at the northwest part of Atlanta. Okay. We're like right. Our town is right on, like right adjacent to the west end. Yep. I'm. Uh, I was born in Stone Mountain, actually, so I'm relatively oh. familiar. Okay, that's probably like 45 minutes from us. Yep. You know, with our increase in traffic, probably about an hour now. Yeah, yeah, Atlanta's rough. <laughs> it's notoriously rough with the traffic. Um, so you had, well, how did you hear about our show first? I was curious about that. Oh, I heard about you from Amy Dresner, the Amy Dresner website. Nice. Um, I I bought her book, My Fair Junkie, uh, a while back. I got it on Kindle. And I read like two pages of it, and then I put it away, and then I wrote my own book, and then I started reading her book intensely about two weeks ago. And um, I went to her website because I wanted to see who I could talk about with my book, and then found guys on there, started listening. I wanted to be on the show. Yeah. No, and it's funny because I didn't even, uh, when you first reached out, I thought, I didn't realize that you were you were a heroin addict as well. I thought it was more. Um, I didn't know what it was about to be honest. But when you said you were you used to be in a tooth and nail band, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But it's a total hit two birds with one stone. So, what uh, what band did you used to be in? Our band is called Joe Christmas, and we started off in tenth grade. First, we were the Subliminal Necktie. <laughs> then we cha- then we changed our name to Crayon, and then senior year we were taking AP English, and we needed a new name because there was another band called Crayon in the Midwest. And Zachary, who's the singer, his girlfriend at the time suggested Joe Christmas because we were reading A Light in August, and the the main character's name is Joe Christmas. And so we we're like, all right, that's a weird name, but let's let's go for it. We just thought it was kind of odd, and then we were like, okay, well. <laughs> Dude, the, the 90s were a good time for off-the-wall band names. I agree. Yeah. I, th- I think Crayon <laughs> is an awesome name for a band, too. Oh, thanks, man. I really like the subliminal neckties, too, because the na- that comes from 
this infomercial or something that Zach saw where this pastor had created these ties that had like evangelical messages woven into them, <laughs> you know, and, and they were called subliminal neckties. And what? It's, yeah. <laughs> so, um, How that, creepy decided, is that? I know, right? That's so, so you're, you're being influenced by someone's tie, like <laughs> subliminally influenced. Oh, man. So, so y'all were a tooth and nail band. So what was the, so what's, what's funny now is, have you been, have you heard the labeled podcast yet? Yes. Yeah. Uh, So it's super funny that, and I guess it really started with like David Bazan and like Pedro the Lion. But so it's like, you had this whole big group of, of Christian indie metal and punk bands. And then now 20 years later, a good three-fourths of them are either like, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore, or I never was, or this whole, it's this weird, weird thing. Um, what was, so what was the uh, spiritual status of the band members? Wow, I'm really happy that you asked that, because we got caught up in the whole uh, trend of saying, oh, we're not really a Christian band, we're just on a Christian label. And then uh, it was just very confusing, but it was like, we're church, like Zach, Ryan, and I were church kids, right? And our first drummer, his name was Jason. He was just um, a friend from high school. The second drummer was just a friend from high school. And our third drummer, Philip, who that's who we really congealed with. He was also just a friend, a friend from college. And none of them had a clearly defined spiritual path, I guess you could say. But the three of us were church kids and we were hardcore in like ninth grade and um you know wanting to like witness and be involved and all that and then uh by the time we got into a band like we were just kind of wayward you know but we were still church kids but like see by the time we got signed none of us even attended church and we were all into girls drinking and I was a consummate pothead by that point. How, and, how old uh, were y'all when you got signed? Uh, I think Ryan was Ryan's a year older. I think Ryan was nineteen. God. Zach and I were or or eighteen. And that's how I remember being in nineteen when we made the first album. And uh, you know, even at that age, like. We went to record in Neverland Studio. That's where the choir had recorded. And uh, we were being, that record was produced by the guitarist uh, from Fluffy and Breakfast with Amy. Those are our, like two of our collective like favorite bands. They were like alternative Christian bands. And then uh, the drummer from the choir also was one of the producers. And I like worshiped them you know, in a sense, and Zach and Ryan like loved them too, and it just wasn't the experience we were expecting, I guess, but it, I mean, it was, it was a great time. But, uh, what, what was, so what was the, what did getting signed mean back then, like when the record industry was still in full swing, like, did y'all get some kind of huge advance, did y'all like? No, um, it was like a bad deal, I'm sure you've heard <laughs> The stories, you know, I mean, we were just like, 
amazed that someone was going to pay for us to go to the studio and then they were going to put the record out. And so we basically signed a bum contract, you know, yep. and we didn't have any rights. And uh, we, uh, I think our back catalog is owned by EMI now, unless Brandon from Tooth and Nail like, bought the catalog back. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just, really exciting that someone was going to put the records out, but we didn't get any advance. Um, we got songwriter royalties. I remember one time getting this big check from uh, BMI, the writer royalty company, because one of our songs was on a game show, either in like Australia or Canada or somewhere. And uh, yeah, one of our, we had some music like in, used incidentally on MTV, like on MTV sports. And uh, that was exciting, you know, but there wasn't really any money involved. It was just like we, you know, we liked the bands on Tooth and Nail and it was kind of like the Christian version of getting signed on Sub Pop, I guess you could say. Totally. And uh, totally. And it was just really exciting. And it, we didn't think about like, oh, we might get pigeonholed or stuck in this like Christian industry. We just thought it would be like another step on the way up. And uh, I think if we had stuck with it, we could have like matured and outgrown it, sort of like David Bazan has you mm-hmm. know, from Pedro the Lion. And um, but so, that's a whole other topic. But. So how did how did it all end? Because y'all had a relatively short career, I guess, in comparatively. So how did yeah? How did it all fall apart? Um. I guess just your basic stuff kind of like arguing and, and fighting, but the band kind of split later on because Ryan and I wanted to play louder music that was still really poppy and melodic, but like a bit heavier. And we wanted to experiment with like tuning down and stuff. And then Zach and Philip wanted to play uh, quieter music. And um, they also lived in Athens, and Ryan and I lived in Atlanta. So we were separated by about, like, two hours. It's kind of difficult to coordinate practice schedules and stuff sometimes. And um, then we wanted to – Ryan and I also wanted to tour all the time, and Zachary and Philip wanted to have, like, a more songwriting-oriented focus you know and all live in the same town and we bickered about that a bit it was just really ridiculous but then like i was always on drugs and so i feel like i was unreliable and i really wasn't like a uh, a valid like voice so, i mean I, I was just like hey man let's just play and go on the road <laughs> yeah 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 you know? we'll figure it out was a uh, were right. you so Athens in like ninety five, ninety eight, where um that's where like Neutral Milk Hotel was at, huh? Yes. Where, yeah, we got. Did y'all know them at all or interact? Yeah, we were like on the periphery of the whole Elephant Six collective. Yeah. We like we played house shows with the Olivia Trimmer Control and nice. Got, we got to play with Neutral Milk Hotel. We played the Forty Walk with Jucifer and. Kincaid and Elf Power. And, That's awesome. Um, that, was yeah. a good, that was a good little time. Yeah. So, really lucky. Were you the only heavy drug user in the band? 
Well, I I think I was the heaviest. I don't really want to speak yeah, about yeah 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 like, true 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 speak speak for other people. I mean, but I mean there were times when like we were all loaded together. But then in like at Cornerstone '96, like Ryan had a really intense like spiritual experience and awakening you know and so he like quit drinking at that point and i never knew him to do anything but drink some hard liquor or some beer you know mm-hmm. and uh were there a lot of drugs at cornerstone uh not really i mean but that cornerstone that was the first place i ever got stoned and that's i remember reading I that, and that was hilarious to me i was like <laughs> of all the places <laughs> that's so funny but i i don't think it it may have been more prevalent than we knew you know but like i think it was so hidden that you yeah it, you know like that i remember like see i went one night like I saw um, No Innocent Victim play, and then I was walking out of the tent, and I heard someone say something about how they were going to get drunk. And I remember some people would have liquor like hidden in their tents and stuff. It was really like, you know, yeah, off the down low, so to speak. It wasn't. Out- uh, it certainly wasn't something you wanted to be known for there, or even seen, because those are the stories of like people like youth groups that saw a band member smoking a cigarette and that like tanked their career, which is just so ridiculous. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I mean, we no, go ahead. Oh, there was this one time we were going to play this church in Colorado and I was like smoking out by the van and Zach was like, let's go for a walk. We'll go have a cigarette behind the church. <laughs> like... Classic. What um so so the band breaks up, um and so I haven't I you sent me um a copy of the book and I, I just started reading the beginning and I want I'm gonna get a physical copy because for some reason I hate reading I'm not one that likes reading books digitally I don't know why but um so basically I started with the part where so the band dissolved and that's when really you kind of lost direction it seemed like yeah that like that was really like devastating for me. And like all at the same time, you know, I found out I was going to be a dad. I had this, this like drug problem that was like really heading into the stratosphere and the band broke up, you know, and I, I was unemployed and I had like dropped out of school. And you're like, what, 2019, 21? Well, at that point, at that point, I believe I was, uh, I was still, I was in my late 20th year, I think. Okay. Or maybe, like, ah, oh, it was, a, I remember it was the spring of 97, I think. And then, uh, it was early 97. And, um, yeah, uh, so I think I was, I think I was 21. And, yeah, and everything was like falling apart around me. And also, you know, being, an addict and not really being aware of it and having the like mental issues with depression and anxiety kept on balance. not being aware of that either. It was, yeah, the, the end of the band was like totally devastating, you know, and I, I had just naively assumed like it was something that would go on for years and years, but I never logically thought about how you have to like communicate and you have to like, work things out you know yeah. 
relationship hurdles don't just like heal themselves. And it, uh, but yeah, it was very difficult. So, and especially, uh, I related a ton to your mindset because I, I was very much so kind of how my drug use unfolded was I was super depressive and anxious, and I was also artistic, super sensitive, and like melancholic. And so, like, the people I idolized were like Elliot Smith. Um, Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse and um, you know I really fell for the whole drug addict artist hook thing and and I too purposely sought out heroin like I remember I was going um, I was about to go to my first inpatient treatment center and I was on a waiting list and I was like well I've never done heroin so I kind of want to do that before I go Um, and which is which sounds to the untrained ear sounds so ridiculous, but it made sense to me. It was like, well, I mean, I always wanted to do it. Um, and then just never stopped. So yeah, I, I totally related to, you know, you actively seeking it out. So what yeah. was that? Yeah. What was that experience like? Well, yeah, I just, uh, I guess I was kind of thinking like, well, things couldn't get any worse, you know, so why not just do this? But I remember, uh, this is kind of ridiculous, but I was watching train spotting with some friends and I just thought, what a great idea. Let's, you know, I should do heroin. And, uh, it just seemed like, uh, <laughs> it would help me so much, like emotionally, I guess you could <laughs> say. And then also I was kind of like, well, who cares? Mm-hmm. I was, you know, let's, let's just see how bad the things can really get, you know? Yeah. And, it's almost like yeah. a weird, like self-flagellation thing of just like it's like a weird, just pile on the pain sort of deal. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I do think I felt like I needed some kind of, like I deserved some punishment or something, and like I was a failure, and you know, with the uh, those what, kinds of burned it on. Yeah. What What was your spiritual condition at the time? Well, um, the backup. Well, it's a, some backstory is that I was, uh, I had felt like using like weed and, uh, those type of lighter substances as sort of part of my spirituality at one point. But mm-hmm. then I just became dependent. And then, so by the time I was like, had decided I was going to start doing heroin, I wasn't really practicing my spirituality at that point. You know, just say I was totally lapsed into like just trying not you know just avoiding any kind of depth on any level you know Mm -hmm. and i was certainly not into anything spiritual although like later on in my heroin use the spiritual element sort of came started to come back i don't remember exactly what happened but i remember a friend of mine and i getting really like we smoked a a lot of this really strong weed and went to church. And I don't remember, I remember going there, but I don't remember what happened. And then like, I remember one time saying a prayer over my heroin and I was at two wow. other friends. Yeah. My, my friend and I said a prayer. And then when we opened our eyes, the girl we were with was just like staring at us. And she said, 
what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> that would be the weirdest shit. It's like it's like blessing the food. Like before we do this, let's let's take a moment. I, but I totally also God, it's so the the weird um, gymnastics and rationalizations you'll do. Like I I had an idea that I I kind of I rationalized my whole thing was that. You listen, Jesus died for my sins, so all my sins are covered. I know I'm a sinner, like, whatever. Death and heaven is, is the ultimate goal, really. So if if anything, I'm just kind of shortening the distance between now and then. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I'm a heroin addict and I'm going to deal drugs, but I'm going to do it in, like, a spiritual manner. Like, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to have grace if they don't have my money. You know, like, I've really, like, had very odd um and i would i would preach to people high as shit and i would just be telling them like you need to really change your life and stuff and they're looking <laughs> at me just like what are you talking about <laughs> like so wow. yeah yeah that's interesting i mean like the foundation i had in me just like you it was always present i mean i would be down down in the west end talking to the dealers and they were older people generally and i would say yes sir and yes ma'am <laughs> i mean they would like yeah. people ask me on several occasions like you're so polite like what are you doing down here and i was like oh, i like being down here i, I like y'all you know and yeah one time one time i got to uh i was able to like go hang out at my dealer's house and she actually let me record like an interview with her and i at christmas time i gave her a christmas present and yep like <laughs> I never did like the preaching thing and stuff, but I was like, uh, it's like, it's weird, even though I was in kind of this like degenerate activity and like go into these places that are seen as like being seedy and unwholesome. And I was, but I carried like my, my demeanor in there and was like, I, did, I wasn't like, you know, give me my shit, you know, yeah. I got to get out of here. And it wasn't yeah. like that, but like, I don't know, man. Like, um, I, I feel like, uh, I was fortunate to never look at fellow users and dealers as like, uh, oh, how do I say it? Like, I just always felt like they weren't any, like a lower status of person or anything. Yeah. You, you, you still saw the human and the humanity in them. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Which, I, yeah, and I will say I, I kept that too. I think until like I really got into like meth and amphetamines and stuff, and then things took a drastic nosedive. But so what? Where did your addiction kind of lead you? Um, in a like a long spiraling loop, or like so. I guess we could pick up from the heroin part. Yeah. Totally. Um, so I uh, I wasn't able to stay to get clean while I lived here in Atlanta, and I had like gone to stay with my grandma a couple of times and then come back and just kept using. And so I eventually like uh, was offered to go live with my friends in the mountains of North Carolina. So I left with them. And I ended up staying in North Carolina for five years. And while I was there, I became a serious hard drinker. I still, I didn't consider myself an alcoholic at that point, but 
I mean, I drank a lot and I smoked a lot of weed and took pills and did everything else. And then, but I still felt like, oh, I got to keep this under control. So I was kind of like using and white knuckling it at the same time for like five years, just trying to stay off dope, you know? That is miserable. Yeah. And then I came back here in uh, 2004 and, uh, I wanted to be like totally sober. I tried to reconnect with my son and his mother. I I totally blew that, and, and I couldn't stop using it. Just had to be something, you know. And I was getting more and more into drinking. And then, so by I was back in 2004 and 2006. I just started shooting up again. Finally, I was able to stop that in 2007, but then back on the hard booze and alcohol until spring of 2007. I woke up like broke in the floor, no whiskey, no money, no job. And I was like, that's it. And then that's when I got into recovery in earnest. And then it was kind of, off and on, you know, a year here, six months there, and then relapse, and then until uh, 2012, I finally like got clean, like really clean. I haven't, I've been sober since July 2012. Nice. So, did you get sober through like NA or AA or? Yeah. I, oh, well, I did a, a rehab program, an outpatient program that's offered through the county. It's kind of like a class. It's most of the people there were like court ordered, but I went, I went on my own and I went the three sessions a week. And after that, I didn't um, go to any meetings. And then I got, you know, I tried to do it on my own. I was like, well, I, I went through the rehab. I'll do it myself. And then I couldn't, of course, and I ended up in 2011 finally getting into AA, but I didn't take it that serious, so I relapsed again. And then in 2012, I went back to AA, picked up another white chip, and then like got a sponsor. Like I uh, got a new sponsor. My old sponsor had moved. Got a new sponsor. Started really working the steps like hardcore with all like the worksheets and everything, and um, going to like meetings every night, you know, and, um, that's, that, that's when it really took, you know, and, um, did you kind of, so did you just, how to word this? Did you, um, bring it back to the, God, I can't think today, the spirituality question. So did you go back to, Christianity kind of fall into it or did it evolve into something new or? Oh, I think it evolved into something new because in prior attempts at sobriety, I thought that my answer was just going back to church. You know, it's like, Hey, I'll just pray and ask God to fix me and I'll be good, you know, and I'll go about my life or whatever. But like it took the, the, the action of the 12 steps to really bring about that healing and like an ongoing spiritual awakening, not like this lightning bolt, bam, I'm changed, you know, yep. but just like an ongoing awakening. So I would say that the Christian foundation that I was brought up with, is kind of morphed into something else. And I mean, for a while I was like, Oh, fuck the church. I hate all that shit. And then, then I came back 
to having a more open mind, just the more I heard people share what really like changed things for me was the third step, you know, God, as we understood him, you know? And mm-hmm. so I was like, wait a minute, you know, you know, I can have my own concept of God. And so that really opened it up for me. And I think that's what really basically like saved my faith in a sense. But so I, I don't, I don't consider myself a Christian in the classical sense, but like, I think that that'll always be with me. Like, you know, like your guest, Stephen Long, like he said, like, it's always there. It, it's like, can't be taken out. And mm-hmm. I think I fought against it. And that was, that was really to my detriment. I just think it's healthier to like embrace it. And I love the ideals that Jesus put forth of, you know, compassion, tolerance and acceptance and inclusiveness, you know? And so I think that's, I think like those ethics and beliefs, that's like what it's all about as opposed to like, like staunch, like strict moral code. You know, yeah. like compassion overrides this morality code. Like if Jesus went to an abortion clinic and people were trying to like block a woman from going in and they were yelling at her and like, you kill babies, that's wrong. God says, don't do that. I think Jesus would be the person who protected the woman and like helped her in that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Not judging and just saying, "Hey, I'm I'm here for you," you know. So those kind of ideals, I love all that. So that's like the foundation and stuff. That's pretty much where I am now. But like, I'm also like really interested in Wicca, so I'm reading about that and like the whole like, you know, why? uh, Well, so why? Well, because I had seen that you're super interested in horror, and I you started horror writing in horror. Is that it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. So what? What? Uh. So I am also. I love the occult and and demonology and stuff. I just I just think it's fascinating. But yeah, I'm also like, I ain't, t- ain't touching that 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 devil and that wicked stuff. Uh, still scared of it. So what? 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 What draws you to it or drew you to it? I don't know exactly. It just keeps coming up. I mean, like I love like the. Uh, See, I like the fantastical idea of like the the witches, I guess you could say, you know, and the dark image and stuff, especially the artwork. So I like, I really like that. And as far as like Wicca as like a, a, a daily spiritual practice, like, I don't know about that. Like I'm, I'm interested in it and I've read a couple of books about it, you know, and um, the only thing like, that I, the idea that I can't get down with is like my will be done, you know. So so mote it be. Like I say it, so it's done. Yeah. That I don't, I can't get down with that just because like I guess the way I was raised and like I guess deep down I truly believe that I rely on a higher power. But there's an there's another version of Wicca that says. You know, the Wiccan read is do, do, and it harm none, do what you will. Mm-hmm. And so 
the other interpretation is that if your will is in alignment with the higher power and the higher power is the ultimate authority, then you can like do what you want, but you have to be guided in your actions. You know what I mean? And so yeah, that's which like, is that's kind of that's kind of biblical, really. Yeah. Yeah, but I read a book that espoused this philosophy. It's called Wicca for Beginners, but I don't remember who wrote it. It's pretty interesting. But um, I love the connection to the earth and the oneness because I'm vegan also, and I and like I think that we're all created and like all creation is sacred, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like also like Wicca and Satanism too. They have the idea of like the present moment is incredibly important. Whereas when I was taught growing up that what's most important is looking ahead to heaven, you know, but totally. we have, which, which I can, which I can now see was just like bad theology and not, yes. it's, that's not really what the Bible or Christianity says, but totally, totally. No, you're right. Like I, one of my friends who like has this like staggering intellect has all these various <laughs> interpretations interpretations of of scripture you know and Mm -hmm. so she was telling me about how like you know the bible is really all about like being mindful and like present-minded and um i wish i could like quote her on all this stuff you know but um i agree with you i think that the you know what i was raised with was like bad theology and poor understanding and which which really feeds into addiction too cuz it's you know drug addiction or using drugs in general is just such an escapism and it's it's literally i mean i know some people will say you're 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 focusing more on the moment but it's like not really you're somewhere else um it's yeah. it's it's literally as far from reality in the moment as you can get um and you know sobriety is is meant to be just the opposite of that and it's like the danger i guess of like you know me looking at my phone all day is just it's i'm not here you know i'm not being present it's really difficult to do um especially because i still have that escapist mind I, I love movies i love uh tv shows and you know now i'm watching tv with my phone in my hand which is just which every time i catch myself doing that i get very angry at myself <laughs> no i do it too you know, I, um, my wife has said before that, like, writing is my new addiction because, like, I will just, like, like our hours will disappear when I'm working on something and I'll have no idea, you know. And it's just uh, – but but it's also such, like, a positive, um, you know, outlet and it's such a uh, – um, you know, I'm not – I feel like it's uh, – very productive activity you know well yeah that's that's a perfect segue of so so how did the book come about and why don't you just tell us a little bit about it okay well the book is called heroin is the answer a memoir of what i remember and it's something that had been on my mind for several years up until now i've only written fiction and i write primarily bizarro horror which is um it's more of a a sub, well, it's like just a melding of horror and Bizarro. Are you familiar with Bizarro? Um, no. I mean, I, like, I, I'm relatively familiar with the concept, but only as it refers to Superman and 
Sea Lab or Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Okay, well, Aqua Teen Hunger Force is a good example of Bizarro. I mean, because it's just really weird, right? You're right. Yeah, and it's a it has this absurd quality to it, and um, so Bizarro is kind of like. Um, it's the literary equivalent of the cult section of the video store. You know, it's like David Lynch and the art films and the underground films, stuff like that. And uh, so I write like weird horror. And this is my fifth book and my first nonfiction book. And basically, uh, I've been told a lot when I would tell my druggy stories, like people would say, you should write that down. And I was like, Oh, maybe. And then my wife encouraged me to do it. So I just thought I would, that I would see if I could. And then it was really scary and like painful. So I would start on it. Then I would stop. Then I would go back to it. And so it took a long time to kind of really get into it, you know, Mm -hmm. and get comfortable with the process. And, then I did it. I forgot. I forgot how long it took. Like how long I actually worked on it. But yeah, that's how it came about. And I just and the more I worked on it, the more it came. The more the pieces fit together, you know. Yeah. And so it finally came together as like a finished project. What? Uh, so when is it coming out? The the Kindle version came out yesterday on okay. March. March the third, and it's free until Thursday, and then the paperback comes out on Friday, March eighth. And, and where can uh, where can everybody find it? At, at Amazon right now, and then I'm gonna work on getting it into bookstores and stuff as I go along. Yeah. Did you uh did you find a publisher or like how does all that work? Oh no, I just decided to self publish it. It just Ooh. felt like the right thing to do. I've been able to work with some really cool publishers, you know, doing my fiction stuff. And there mm-hmm. was only there was one indie publisher called Adel Adel, which is like a subsidiary, not really a subsidiary, but it's the sister publisher of Grindhouse Press. And um, I really wanted to work with them, but they said, you know, they already had some similar books, so they passed on it. And um, then I started to, I wrote a proposal and I started to like look up agents and like other publishers to send it to. And then I started to feel more and more disillusioned and I hope I didn't give up too fast, but I just thought I really wanted to like go the punk rock route and do it myself, you know? And I like all the other authors like in the um, underground that I respect, that I look up to. This is what they've done so i want to yeah. follow in their footsteps you know well totally well yeah i hope uh everybody will go out and buy that and check it out and support you um thank you russell man thanks for coming on dude i really appreciate it well, cool thanks for having me i'm really happy to be here good talking with you for sure man we will have to keep in touch definitely
welcome back. Hey! Stunning, stunning intro view. Whoop, 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 whoop. Uh, so Breaking Bad, huh? Yeah, I just finished rewatching Breaking Bad for this is my second time through. Still holds up, by the way. It does. Uh, so good. Um, it gets so dark at the end. Yeah. Uh, like, ugh. I mean, I can say spoilers, right? It hasn't been on TV for five years. Yes. Um, yes. When Jesse gets enslaved by the Ooh. white power redneck dude. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. It was like some of the most heart-wrenching television. It was. And when they execute his old lady. Oh, my gosh, dude. Jesse Plemons so. paid. Like he was such a good actor as that creepy, creepy sociopathic white supremacist guy. Oh my god, dude! Yeah. So, so you know the movie's coming out. I do. Yeah. Yeah. That was what like spurred me to. I was like, oh my god, Breaking Bad exists because I like, just forgot about That's it. That's right. After reading that article, I was like, I am so rewatching this. Um, and it's super good. Well, super super good and my one my one big issue was and it would have just been a simple a simple scene uh, mm-hmm. when jesse gets freed why not mm-hmm. have him grab one of them barrels of money because it's like dude he's he's on the run but he's got nothing yeah i don't know i mean that's what the movie's going to be about is yeah, jesse exactly Hacker. that's and that's why i was happy because i was all that yeah. that always lingered in my mind i was like he's good but he's gonna be like homeless and shit like well what's he gonna do? right before i mean so right before he got enslaved by the white power he was th- through oh, millions of dollars around that's people. right like, he, he wouldn't want it fuck that, about that money that's the point he didn't See, want the blood money i'm a bad person I mean, I thought that too. Okay, good. You know, what's so interesting is like years ago, I like could relate to Walt a little bit at the beginning. And then it was like, he turned into a monster. But this time around, I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, how is he doing this to his family? Yeah. It's interesting watching stuff like pre-kid and then post, like post-kid. That's what. That's what um that's like a famous Stephen King quote my my dad always says is like people people love horror before they have kids and then afterwards everything becomes so real and so terrifying. It's true, dude. That's it's weird. Tr- yeah. And I and I realized that watch I mean I still very much enjoyed Breaking Bad, but um and I even I mean I watched it Kai was little little but i wasn't like in full dad mode i don't think mm. now that i'm in full dad mode it's like had to totally i watched it through totally different lens um yeah we, I, yeah it's funny like my memories of breaking bad so i started watching it sober i relapsed around the time um his girlfriend Oof. died on heroin um oh yeah, I got sober again. Jessica Jones, Jessica when Jessica Jones died. Yes, dude, I let her die. Anyway, yeah, what the fuck? Um, I got sober again, and then I was living with Dirty Mike in the the throes of meth addiction during the um the last season, and the and I remember this is this is like <laughs> this, these are like how I know I'm bad on drugs if if it interferes with my TV watching because like the season the series finale was on. And I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't stop like cleaning up the room. 
Oh. And like Dirty was sitting there trying to watch it, and I, I would sit for two seconds, and then I couldn't. I had to move, and I would get up, and so I don't remember anything of it watching it. Oh, yeah. wow. It was good though, that, yeah. and that that's probably my only thing. My only um trouble with suspension of disbelief was that show is that there's just no fucking way that meth addict former meth addict Jesse could continue to manufacture the greatest meth on the planet and not use it anymore. Former and current. Like there are times where he just like dabbles in it. Right. I was like, there's no way, dude. No yeah, he's, way. He's my only thing is like, well then he must just have been not like me. Like he was just yeah. like a heavy heavy user and he doesn't have what I have or whatever. He's not a real addict. That's true. I can go with that. I'll go with that. That was my that's the assumption that I had to make and hold to to watch the show to, you know, watch the show. Yeah, I'm gonna put that in my brain, seal it, lock it. Yeah, because he's like in the, he's like the most distraught at the at the very end, he's like a broken ass human being. Literally locked to a chain cooking meth. And like if he was like me, he would just be doing all of the meth. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> like, the thing too. I was like, man, the white supremacists could at least throw him a bone, let him get high every now and then. God, that'd be uh, fucking awful, dude. Ugh. Living in a pit. I think it. See, are you watching Better Call Saul? I watched. So I watched the first three seasons on the Netflix machine. I haven't seen the most recent one. Okay. Oh, it's it's. God, I don't. It's. I, it's equal, dude. As far as like goodness in my mind, it's it's really it's, yeah. So dude. I thought it was really good. I wouldn't put it on the same bar as what I've seen so far as Breaking Bad, and mostly because of the like, there's no grotesque violence and explosions and like sure that sort of thing. Sure, it's 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 like now that um because Gus is probably like one of my favorite all time TV villains of all time and so great and now that Gus is fully in um Gus and Ermintrout are fully in Better Call Saul it's like it's, right it's I, I've always wanted to see more of them. What's so interesting is like Gus in my mind didn't start out as a super villain he was like a really. Uh, like middle of the road just like a really good businessman right totally but then he just starts like fucking whacking people because they murdered his brother his hermano i don't think that that was his hermano yeah dude. but it's not his real brother he rescued him out of the slums remember yeah yeah i mean you know so but i think that that was his lover really I that's didn't even my think about take that. on that was my take on it Anyway, I mean that was not not ever talked about in the show, but it I might got be, those though. vibes. Yeah, huh? He does kind of put off that vibe, doesn't he? A little, a little, just kind of that. But yeah. my thing was when when you saw that scene go down when the um, we are getting real deep into the show, hey, dude. Whatever, when, that's uh, fine. Uh, when um, when the cartel murders the. His, Gus is whoever he was, Hermano. Um, that's when I was like, "Oh my god, these dudes were like in love." Huh? That's interesting. I'm gonna go back and watch with that lens because you might be onto something there. His revenge on the cartel with the tequila. Oh, oh my god, so, so satisfying. Awesome. And yes. that's why, God, yeah, that's why that's why Better Call Saul is so good because you see like 
I don't want to spoil anything because I don't know if you've seen it. Don't but yes, spoil it. Yeah, don't you spoil you it. see the the blossom of of the rivalry with the uh, mm-hmm. Salamancas and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's good shit. It is. Shit. It is. All right. Well, we'll. Uh, I'm gonna go watch Breaking Bad. So y'all. Um, <laughs> No, um, yeah, send us an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com, patreon.com, slash churchandotherdrugs. Next week, we're going to have Dan Coke. If you remember Daniel Kokenheim on the show. I do. Yep, so the Coaster. Look, look forward to that, peoples. See y'all later.